Hey there, Omaha. Uh, welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. Really excited for this one today because I have a pair of awesome guests. Uh, we have Colin and Jess Duggan. They are the chefs and owners of the Kitchen Table in downtown Omaha. It is a fantastic restaurant that I just, I can't believe it took me so long, but I just had the pleasure of experiencing it for the first time a few times this past weekend guys welcome to the show good to be here thank you thanks for having us yeah for sure i want to start this episode off with a quick story to just kind of let people know why i hold kitchen table in such high regard so i've talked about it with my wife sarah on the show for we have this thing called the list where we have a list of many omaha restaurants that we want to get to and there's just so many that it takes us a while kitchen table has been near the top of the list for a while and so at the beginning of the new year, we, we set like a strategy. We were like, okay, we need to pick out like four or five places that we're going to in January. Kitchen table was one of them. So we determined on a Friday, we're doing this. We're going down there. This is happening. And it snowed. <laughs> and I knew as soon as it started coming down, I, I'm like one of those cavalier people, probably a little too optimistic in the snow, where I'm just like, yeah, we'll make it. We'll be fine. So calling. <laughs> Sarah is on the complete opposite end of the spectrum where she's very cautious, and that's probably a good thing in most circumstances. So I go to pick her up, and she was a little bit like, are we still doing this? Or are we just going home? And I'm like, Sarah, we are not doing this again. So a little bit tense ride getting downtown, but long story short, it was fantastic. It was worth the, they weren't even that bad of conditions. I'm going to go ahead and say it, but we made it and it was awesome. And it was a real pleasure to get to try the food for the first time. So now I'll open the mics back up to you guys. Just kind of overarching. How would you describe kitchen table to a newcomer, somebody who hasn't come in your doors before? Wow. Um, I'm going to let you feel this one. Just. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we kind of started out with, Colin wanted to make bread. Uh, we were out in San Francisco, and he said, I want to make bread. And we were looking at moving back to Omaha, and so that's kind of where that started. So bread turns into sandwiches, and then making bread, everything then kind of turns into everything from scratch. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of where everything started to build. Okay, so where does the love for bread come from? That's the starting point, bread. Well, it's just such a simple thing. Yeah. It's it's flour, water, and salt. And there I mean there's nothing else to it. And it the ingredients do all the work. And it's well, I shouldn't say they do all the work. <laughs> there's there's some work that goes into it, but it's you know I mean there's there's no there's no secrets. It's all about it's all about process, consistency, um, feeding your starter at the same time every day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's you know, when you work in the restaurant industry for a long period of time, especially in the kitchen, finding ways to connect days, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not, so, so it's a, so it's a big picture where it's not just, you go to work and figure out what to do that day and then move on. Cause so many people, I mean, it's such a, it's such a small, um, it's such a concentrated community of cooks finding ways to make the small day into a big picture. And the bread is really kind of the way to do that. It connects every single day because there's a process to it. There's, you know, there's no fancy ingredients that you have to go find. There's no, there's no sourcing. It's just, it's flour, water, salt, and it's just process and consistency. And it, it sets the baseline for everything that we do. So that's where the love of bread comes from. It's, it's, 
it's it's simplicity and complexity meeting. That's such middle. a yeah, that's such an interesting perspective because something that I like about kitchen table, you guys use, you know, local ingredients and everything. So the menu changes slightly based on what's in season. Uh, you, you guys do daily specials. So there are adjustments that are happening with the menu, but what kind of keeps you grounded is just that, that common, you know, every day, the bread isn't changing. The bread isn't exactly. changing. Exactly. That's really cool. And it, and it also sets the standard for, you know, those, those local ingredients that we do get, you know, finding ways to, to use every aspect. Mm-hmm. So there's no, or as limited waste as, is, as is possible where, you know, I mean, it, like butternut squash is a big thing right now. It's in season. And so when we break down squash, we use the bulb end of butternut squash. We use the bulb end. Um, we scrape the seeds, boil them to make a stock, mm-hmm. use the seeds to toast, to make, you know, garnishes for salads. Or, you know, we've, we've made uh, squash seed dust as a, as a topping for a pasta. Um, we make stocks out of those. We make... Uh, roasted squash out of the the top end uh, for the, for the grilled, grilled cheese, cheese sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, every 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 bit that we can use of an ingredient, like kale stems, are the only thing I really haven't found a use for. They're just too fibrous. <laughs> we tried to pickle them. We tried, you know, we tried all kinds of enjoyable things. to eat that. But but everything else, I mean, like the you know the the hearts of of uh, lettuce, you know, the, that core piece uh-huh. of lettuce. If you if you braise them slowly in white wine, it's we call it a Nebraska artichoke heart. It's got that same kind of there texture. We use them in that same way. Um, springtime comes around. We use the the woody ends of asparagus to make guacamole. We boil them down, wow. blend them with olive oil, and you get that similar consistency. To so it's it's you know the the whole overarching program is to use every aspect of everything and compost what you can. So we have a dumpster out back that we hardly put anything in. Kind of cool. So is that a fun challenge for you guys? It kind of keeps you on your toes because you end up with these parts of ingredients. Like you just said, you make guacamole out of asparagus stems. Yeah. I never would have thought to do that. I would have just looked at an asparagus stem and be like, what the heck? I right, can't do anything with this. But you guys are like, no, we're not putting it in the dumpster. We're figuring out where to put this on a plate and it's going to be delicious. Exactly. Yep. Usually it's snapped off and tossed, but nope. Now it's guacamole. Now it's guacamole. That is really cool. And I think it plays it plays really nicely into the next thing that I wanted to talk about here. Colin, I want to read a quote that I found um, of yours from a while ago. This is actually from a 2013 article in the Omaha World Herald. I think it was their first review. And you said, we decided we could either spend money on labor or on food. We decided to spend it on food and do the labor ourselves. There's a lot that goes into it. We love it. From what I've seen from you guys, from what I've heard about you guys from other people, and even just in the five minutes we've been talking today, I think I've really seen that lived out already. Just the amount of love and work that you guys are willing to put into this. What kind of what was the impetus behind that quote and how does it still define you today? Well, I guess, you know, kind of growing up in the restaurant industry, there's there's certain there's certain rules of thumb. Um, and one of them is, is the, the one third theory. So when you, when you have a business, when you have a restaurant business, a third of your revenue, a third of your expenditure goes to food, Mm -hmm. a third of your expenditure goes to labor and a third of your expenditure goes to overhead. And if you're lucky, you know, 30, 30, 30, you end up with 10% profit. Mm -hmm. So looking at that, as we went into this, 
um, you know, drawing up our business plan and realizing that the cost of local ingredients, the highest quality ingredients that you get, were not going to fit into that one third. Um, and also realizing that, you know, we, we wanted to be together. That was kind of part of mm-hmm. opening this restaurant and, and doing this together was, you know, the fact that I've been in this business and, and Jess worked more of a nine to five kind of schedule. Yeah. We never saw each other. We never saw each other. <laughs> so part of it was, you know, we're going to, this isn't going to be work. We're not, we're not, we're not getting a new job. Uh huh. We're redefining our lives as something that we're going to share. I love that. And so the idea of spending all of our time in the restaurant was just spending all of our time together, which was ideal, which is what we wanted. So it mm-hmm. wasn't about, boy, this is going to be a lot of work. It was, man, we get to spend all of our time together. So Creating, yeah. Creating what we want to do, what we want to eat, and what we want to share with people. And using knowing. the local ingredients that we get from people who care as much about those ingredients as we do. So, yeah, the passion is equal across the board uh-huh. with all the farmers, producers, right, the bread, exactly. the sauces, our team. The passion is across the board equal. Right. So the idea was instead of hiring managers, instead of, you know, having the, the regular kitchen structure of having sous chef and and commis and, you know, all the, you know, garmage uh-huh. and all these different bits and pieces that we would do the majority of the work ourselves. Uh-huh bring in some people who are excited and passionate and wanted to learn and willing to work and be part of the concept as opposed to just coming in to do a job, Mm -hmm. Um, limiting the crew to just family, basically, you know, where it's, you know, every day at work is it's, it's like hanging out with your family, you know, and, and the whole kitchen table concept comes from the fact that, you know, I don't know how you grew up, but the kitchen oh, yeah. is the center of my house. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's where we all hung out. Get out of the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. You know, they're, they're, I, I don't know. One of the craziest moments of my childhood was when we put a kitchen in, or a TV in the kitchen. And then it was like nobody ever left the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no reason to. This tiny little there's kitchen food and, and entertainment. No yeah, reason. Yeah, the whole family, the dogs yeah. on the floor under the table. The four of us are sitting around the kitchen table watching TV, eating food, making food. Um, you know, it's just kind of the center of the universe. So that's where kind of all of that, all of that stems from is that it's not, it's our home away from home. Well, it's, it's our home in home. I mean, we live upstairs now. For everyone else though, though, it's, we want it to feel like home. Yeah. Cause I was, I was kind of wondering about that. I mean, you guys, Tuesday to Friday, you do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're essentially there. All, all day long. You do brunch on the weekends, and then Monday you're open from 8 until 3, and then you come in and do and record a podcast with a knucklehead like me. I'm like, no. when do you guys have time to, like, relax? But but you love the work so much that it's not even work anymore. Exactly. You get to spend time with each other. That's so cool. Totally. Yeah. We don't refer to it as work so much anymore. No. Okay. So I have to... You guys obviously have a really cool relationship. How did you meet? Like, how did this come about? Well, <laughs> know. we've known each other for a very long time. Colin has a memory of me doing doing cartwheels in, in my high school girlfriend's front yard. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting place to start. Yeah, absolutely. And then it circles back to me dating his best friend when he moved back. So well, I, I, I moved to Boston uh-huh. after, after I graduated high school and uh, I was there for a little over a year. And while I was gone, just started dating my my best friend and uh 
when I came back, you know, conveniently enough, they broke up like two weeks after I got back. And we're still good friends. I'll put it that way. Uh-huh. I'll put that yeah, out there. We're all still good we're friends. We're all still yeah. good friends. <laughs> good. It all worked out in the end. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those things where you wait for the timing to be right. But I mean, like Jess said, I, I remember the first time I saw her mm-hmm. very, very clearly. I can't say that about many people. Yeah. So it was kind of. Oh, your sister too had a little something. Yeah. When I was in Boston, my, my sister passed my number off to Jess and, and she called me <laughs> randomly one day when I, yeah, when I was just hanging out at home one, one evening in Boston and we chatted for a while and it was cool. And I was surprised to hear from her. Um, and we, you know, we found out the backstory that, you know, my sister Kate was kind of the matchmaker in, in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, Kate and I have been best friends forever and she, uh, you know, she knew by my feelings, I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of, you know, set the wheels in motion. But, but yeah, it's one of those things that we, I, I think we both kind of knew from the start that there was, you know, obviously a very strong connection between us and, it just took the right timing and being in the right place at the right time to, to make it all click. But once it did, you know, that was a long time ago. And we were together for 10 years before we got married. Yeah, at least, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we've been together since we were 21. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right when I got back from Mexico, yeah. Yeah. But you mentioned you weren't getting to spend all that much time together because, Jess, right. you're, you're working normal hours, obviously – you know, restaurant hours are crazy and well, even and more different. so. I mean, I was working for I was working in in the hotel business, so I was oh yeah moving around, opening different hotel restaurants. I moved, you know, I opened the the Hilton downtown here with Glenn, yeah, with Glenn Wheeler, mm-hmm. uh, and then moved to Branson, Missouri, to open another Liberty Tavern concept there. Mm-hmm. Um, at which point we were apart for a while, and then Jess moved down to to be with me there. And then I got the job in San Francisco when we both moved out there together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I mean, that's kind of why you know, their life was kind of choppy mm-hmm. at the time. Um, we were the only, you know, we were, we were each other's. You were the constants. Yeah. Right. So you're in San Francisco, you decide, you know, you want to have a restaurant, you want to be together, you want to bake bread. Mm-hmm. How, like, was it just automatic that you were going to come back to Omaha or what, what was it that brought you back this is home this is home it's home yeah our families are here and it's it's such a different place than when we were growing up Mm -hmm. and it's in in an amazing way it's right all the local food all the local support it's huge and it it's what keeps us going yeah i i kind of want to get you guys thoughts on that like i feel like Omaha is just like randomly, and I'm biased because I'm from Omaha. I love Omaha. Maybe that's just my color shining through, but I feel like Omaha has almost become like this food paradise where we have so many great restaurants and like nationally renowned chefs are moving here and, you know, they're leaving Chicago and New York and coming to Omaha, Nebraska of all places. We've got you guys leaving San Francisco and coming back to Omaha. What is it about just the Omaha culinary scene that has kind of helped it rise up in recent years. Well, it's a combination of things, I think. I mean, I think I think you got to give a lot of credit to Metro mm, mm-hmm. and the work that they've that they've done to really make that a, a world class culinary program. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know, no, no, no thriving restaurant industry or no restaurant industry can thrive without people to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think you got to you got to start there and give a lot of credit to to uh, I mean I'll, I'll throw names out there. Uh, Brian O'Malley is you know has really done a lot to to move this industry forward in this town um, and through the school through Metro. Um, the you know and another thing that Metro does is they they recognize uh, through their their Hall of Fame the the chefs who have you know who have been here for a long time and have really done a lot. Uh, Glenn Wheeler is one that I've that I worked for, a mentor of mine. He speaks very highly of you, by the way. Uh, a, <laughs> I speak very highly of him. I love that man. Um, learned a ton from him. Uh, just a, you know, a, a, an incredibly passionate, incredibly informed chef. Uh-huh. Uh, he he never stops learning, and that's the the legacy that that you know I've gained from him, and I hope that everybody else who works for him gets is just always keep learning. Um. His heart's just so big too. Totally, absolutely. But I think you know. I think Omaha is is a, a perfect intersection of affluent residents mm-hmm. and reasonable cost of living. You know, you can people can afford to live comfortably here, and people can afford to go out to eat. People can afford, you know, and and, and I mean, there's there's a ton of you know you know, solid industry here. There's a ton of jobs here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of dodged the the recession, uh, whereas, you know, a, a whole lot of the Midwest, especially the upper Midwest, was was really smoked mm-hmm. by this, you know, this whole manufacturing recession. And, um, you know, some of the big cities, the bigger cities, like one thing that we noticed in San Francisco is a lot of people were moving out just because the cost of living was going up so high so you Mm -hmm. saw you see seattle and portland and all these other peripheral bay area cities exploding in the culinary scene because of all the talent that was leaving san francisco Uh, it's such a cutthroat industry there and the cost of rent and you know everything else is so high Mm -hmm. yeah it's time to bring it here right share everything we learned exactly we, we've always kind of referred to it as, you know, we, we, we went out in the world and we gathered a bunch of tools and we came home to build a house. And kitchen table's that house. It's a very well-built house. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> let's, back from the big picture, let's bring it back to the food. All right. You guys, one of the things that I really like about kitchen table is it's one of the more, I feel like, thoughtful but eclectic menus that I've seen from a local place. You have a lot of vegetarian-friendly options like grilled sweet potato jam sandwiches or a veggie dog. And then there's the other side of the coin that is like super awesome meaty stuff like a pulled pork Reuben or a patty melt with Wagyu beef and a meatloaf sandwich. How did you guys decide on just the menu concept and kind of meld those two very opposite sides of the coin together? It's years us. of practice, yeah. <laughs> Jess is a vegetarian, and I'm decidedly not. I ate everything in the world but Brussels sprouts. Um, but yeah, the menu we planned was originally when we opened was going to be meat and vegetarian. Mm-hmm. But then we realized that there's a very prominent vegan community, and then it turned into gluten free. And building everything from top to bottom, we're able to kind of make everybody happy 
We want everybody. It's it's a bummer when you go out to eat and you can't find something on the menu. Oh yeah, especially when you make a plan like with you and Sarah. If you make a plan to go out to eat and you one of you had a restriction that you couldn't go eat, it's just kind of a letdown. And then you're bothering someone, and we don't want people to feel that way. Mm-hmm. So we want people to know that come in, talk to us about it, mm-hmm. let us know what you can have, can't have. We build everything from top to bottom, so we want you to have choices. So that's kind of how the breadth of the menu has extended. Yeah, I think the to a great extent for years the, the you know kind of the fine dining and the um, not even the fine dining but the you know higher end restaurant experience was about the restaurant, not so much about the diner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we wanted to kind of flip that on its head and. Your dining experience should be about you. It should be about you having the experience that you want in the envi- in, a, in a comfortable environment. You shouldn't have to feel like you have to meet a standard or be a certain way or or eat a certain thing. Or I mean, there's a place for the tasting menu, you know, mm-hmm. where you go in and sit down and whatever the chef brings is, and, and that's cool. It's that's a cool experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But on a you know on the day to day, at the kitchen table, you should. You should you should have your own experience. You should choose your own adventure, and if you know if you're gluten free, if you're vegan, if you're you know a full blown carnivore, yeah, exactly. you can yeah you, you can choose that some adventure. Fourteen day cured bacon, we got that too. Totally. Ooh, mm, so many people even add that to the house made three bean burger. And that's why you get you get yeah or or like or the sweet potato jam. We always do a seasonal jam sandwich. Uh You know, one of our one of our mottos that we joke about is you can add bacon to absolutely anything you want. So people add bacon to their you know vegetarian sandwich. People add bacon to their peanut butter and jelly or the snack mix. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, our house popcorn with bacon and peanuts. Uh That's Colin always teases me because I came up with that one. I haven't eaten meat in a long time. Jess is the queen of pork. (laughs) She's the queen of pork. Just doesn't. Yeah, when I when I can't figure out what to do with you know with pork of of some sort, what should we do with our pork sandwich this season? Jess Jess always has a great idea. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. Must be like way down deep. <laughs> Old memories, but yeah, she's got she's got her finger, her, her thumb on the pulse of of, uh, of the pork world. I guess. Yeah, so we warm up the little bits of bacon and then pour that like you would butter right. over the popcorn. So the, the bacon fat becomes the, the butter for the <sighs> I'm having some serious <laughs> regret. I visited a couple times this past weekend. I didn't know this hack. And... Uh, <laughs> This is my fault, and now I just want bacon-flavored popcorn. (laughs) Okay. Um, One of my favorite things about getting to do this show so far is seeing the ties between restaurateurs and chefs and how they grew up and what they grew up eating and cooking with their parents or, you know, just with our grandparents even has inspired what they do today. And just looking at kitchen tables menu, there are several, you know, kind of simpler concepts in general, like, like deviled eggs, like grilled cheese, like pimento cheese. These are things that, you know, can start very simple. And even when I was just in on Sunday for brunch, um, we got some uh, cinnamon sugar dirt bombs, bombs. which are absolutely <laughs> delicious. It's it's basically just a fried or not fried, but it's a ball of dough with uh with cinnamon and sugar on it. But it's 
it's amazing and it's the best version of that and you came over to the table Colin, and you said yeah that's this is something you know pretty similar to what we made growing up that's how it got on the menu sure. how did you guys as you're crafting the menu kind of take some of the things that you ate growing up and put the kitchen table spin on them deviled eggs is a huge one for sure yeah Best deviled eggs I've ever had. Nice. Yes, <laughs> the, that dill in there is tremendous. Don't know where that idea came from, but I love it. I don't know either. You came up with that one. Dill and paprika. I don't know. I don't know where. <laughs> it just made sense. But yeah, it's all kind of like but it's family all, gathering food. Yeah. When you get together and you need to please everybody in your extended family or friends of extended family, Something for everyone. Kind of that same unifying concept of everybody can be happy. You're not the one person that's standing there like, I can't eat anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So that's kind of where it all mm-hmm. comes from. I mean, a lot of it's Bevan Rogers. Yeah, I mean influence. a lot of it's a lot of it's things that, that I that I grew up with. Um a lot of it all my mom grandparents, did a lot of, yeah. Yeah, grandparents. But my mom did a lot of my mom did, did some catering when I was younger. She was kind of that, she had her own catering company, but it was kind of just like, she did all the cooking anyway, so at some point she decided to charge people for it. (laughs) (laughs) My parents were, my parents were, um, they grew up in the, well, they they got together in the theater. Um, They they actually met in a production of Romeo and Juliet, which is super cheesy. They weren't Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) My mom was an extra, my dad was Ben Folio um, at the Chanticleer over in Council Bluffs. But they, um... I don't know. My mom did all. They were they were founding members of the Roger Norton Theater, which is in Dundee, uh-huh. uh, which was the Dundee Theater, and is now Pitch, that building. And I wanted that building for my restaurant, but that's all right. Pitch got there first, <laughs> <laughs> and we love being downtown. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so my mom did all the Sunday brunches when they'd have matinees there, um, and that was you know deviled eggs are one of the things that she did. Um, but it's just, yeah. the The idea was just taking these things that we all grew up with, that we're all familiar with that are comforting and yet you know we it, the thing about it is is when you have food memories from childhood mm-hmm. nothing is ever going to compare nothing's ever going to be as good as your mom's it's true whatever, <laughs> yeah. right so the idea was we're we're going to scrap that we're not going to try and duplicate it we're going to twist it we're going to change it just a little bit so like with the deviled eggs we don't cut the deviled eggs the long way we cut them the short tall. way we cut mm-hmm. them tall and stand them up. So it's just a, it's just a different look, which is the, your you know you you eat with your eyes first. That's the the visual reaction is oh this is different, mm-hmm. opens up your mind. Now I'm ready to try it. So you add you know a little bit of a different flavor. Whereas you know everybody put paprika, a little sprinkle of mm-hmm. paprika on the top of their deviled eggs. Paprika doesn't do anything unless you activate it in oil. It doesn't taste like anything. It's just dust. But if you warm it up in olive oil. All of a sudden, you get that really floral, smoky, pepper flavor. That's what gives it that hue. That's what gives it that color mm. and that... And why everybody says... And that richness and that depth. You put hummus in there? Exactly. <laughs> no, it's, not, it's not hummus. There's no tahini. There's no... It's, it's, that's the paprika. Uh-huh. Most people don't have any idea what it tastes like, even though they've had it in their cupboard their entire life. So it's just, you know, breaking things down to their very basic and then rebuilding them, which... Your first sandwich experience is the whole bird, and that's, that's where that came from as well. How can we take a chicken sandwich, which is on every menu across the world, uh-huh. 
break it down to its very basic and rebuild it into something really unique, but it's still a chicken sandwich. It's still a comforting, it's a chicken sandwich, right? So you get the whole bird and you break it down to all of its Uh core elements, all of its primal pieces. And then you rebuild it in a way that you get every possible aspect of what makes chicken great. I wanted to talk about this sandwich later, but since it came up now, <laughs> we're just going there. He's right. This was my my first my first entree that I had at kitchen table was this sandwich called the Whole Bird, and yes, it, it like people told me going in. Like I do my research going into restaurants. I talk to people. I say, hey, what do I need to get? And everybody's going, you got to get the Whole Bird. You got to get the Whole Bird. I'm like, oh. I like chicken sandwiches. It's a chicken sandwich. It's not even a fried chicken sandwich. So they're like, dude, get the get the whole bird. <laughs> Where did that concept come from, and why is it so stinking good? <laughs> Unlike any chicken sandwich I've ever had, not even close. Pretty foundational. It was. It's been on the menu since day one. It, it'll never go anywhere, and it shouldn't. And it, I mean, it's well, except my mouth. It, it starts. <laughs> I should say it starts with with the chicken. The whole it bird starts with Plum Creek Farms. Yep. That's with Dean. Dean and his family. Dean are and his family amazing. are amazing people. They raise amazing birds. Um, they Happy bring lives. them out every Wednesday. Yeah, the birds are, you know, the only the only thing happier than Dean's birds is Dean. Dean's just one of the most pleasant human beings I've ever met in my life, and he does an amazing job. He works as hard as we do, and he cares as much about what he does as we do. Mm-hmm. That's enormously important. Um, and I wouldn't want to get chicken from anybody else, ever. We wanted to have... I mean, our initial discussions of what to do with this menu was, you know, how do we take. Utilizing the whole. How do we utilize the whole, you know, in the entirety of ingredients? And how do we make sandwiches that people will be familiar with that we can still be very proud of? Mm -hmm. Kind of of elevate elevate the simple concept. Mm -hmm. And so the chicken sandwich is one of those things that. I can do without. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, a, a grilled chicken sandwich. Uh, and that was my thought going it's like, in. It's yeah. Like the, yeah. It's like, you know, I don't want a burger, so I'm going to get a chicken sandwich. Uh-huh. You know, it makes you feel thing. healthy. You have to have it on the menu. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to get rid of that whole idea of, of the healthy chicken sandwich um, without getting rid of the health, I guess. So, you know, foundationally starting with greens, everything should start with a vegetable base. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we put some, some really good greens on the base. We take the whole chicken. We skin them. Um, which is, you know, kind of comes from the idea of uh, galantine. Where you, you know, it, it's duck or chicken, and you skin the bird, and you use the skin of the bird as your casing to make your mm-hmm. your pate or your sausage. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we skin the bird, and we set the skins aside. We salt them to cure them. We put them in the cooler for a week. Kind of like the bacon, right? In a way, mm-hmm. kind of like curing bacon. Mm-hmm. Um, the breast you don't want to do a whole lot with. Uh, simple marinade. Fast, hot finish, keep it juicy, don't do a whole lot with. Bright flavors, white wine, parsley, um, garlic, simple marinade, quick flash. Leg and thigh, there's a lot more richness, there's a lot more fat, there's a lot more flavor. Mm -hmm. Duck confit is a beautiful thing. Why not chicken? So we confit, we salt cure and confit the chicken leg and thigh. And then we break that down to make a salad. So you want to go more rich flavors, Fennel, celery, house-made aioli, kind of build that really tender chicken salad up, right? So we take the whole bird, we break it down into its component parts, Mm -hmm. and then we rebuild it between two pieces of bread. So 
greens on the bottom, that really rich chicken salad on top of that, the bright flavored, seared hot, juicy chicken breast on top of that, that crispy skin that we've cured, we bake in the oven to make a nice chip out of. Mm -hmm. We set that on top of that to give the sandwich some texture. It also salts the sandwich pretty well. So you don't have to add any seasonings to it. And then we top the whole damn thing with a fried egg. Nice runny yolk. Keeps everything moist. You don't need sauce. to put any aioli oh, yeah. or mayonnaise or anything like that on it. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's just the chicken. But it's everything good about the chicken done in, in every way that we can think of to do it. All between two pieces of bread. So you get it all in one bite. People, if you just listened to the last three minutes <laughs> and you're not salivating right now, you might want to go like check with your doctor and make sure that you're okay because that was amazing. That was like poet. That was chicken poetry right there. <laughs> I, I want to like put that in a book or something. That was incredible. What's really fun too is kind of speaking to everybody's dietary needs or restrictions is it's any sandwich can be taken out of the bread and built over salad or grits. Mm, mm -hmm. And that's our best salad sandwich as a salad. Mm -hmm. The whole bird over salad bird is over salad. huge. It just adds another level to, again, the salad, put a chicken breast on your salad. That's a, a good utilitarian way to get some protein and, and eat healthy. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Just it's taking just, it. We're taking the whole, whole chicken this time. Exactly. Yeah. The whole happy chicken. Yeah, you get every aspect of it. <laughs> um, Speaking of the happy chickens, you guys work with more than 40 local farmers. That is a really impressive number, but I would imagine like it's, it sounds great to just say, oh yeah, we work with 40 local farmers. That takes a lot of time to like build those relationships and find 40 different people. And I'm sure that there was a process where you found some people who you maybe didn't like to work with and they got chopped off the list. How do you even go about, you know, starting that list and finding, you know, reputable farms and, and uh, you know, chicken farms, stuff like that to work with? Um, we started out coming back and visiting and kind of scoping spots just by checking out all the numerous more farmer's markets that are available now than mm -hmm. used to be. And yeah, so that was kind of the base of that. Um, two huge things, though, have been um, Ellen and Lone Tree. The yeah, hubs. The hubs. The farm table yeah. and Lone Tree Foods have been. Well, and Tomato Tomato, once upon a time, was, right. was another one of the, those, those scenarios where, you know, it's those, those food hubs, those co-ops where, you know, their goal is to, is to you know, reach out to those farms. They're that, like the middle person. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And like Ellen's hilarious because like, well, I shouldn't say hilarious, but like <laughs> winter squash, like she works with the Mennonite communities in, in Iowa and like we have to, or you have to order ahead of time because she they has to send them a letter. Via mail. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. So like, yeah, so like, you know, the, the it's, but it's the best butternut squash, the best blue Hubbard squash. It's worth best. sending snail mail Absolutely. for. Absolutely. Absolutely. So but they've done amazing things for the food community and access to, as far as our perspective, what we can get, and then doing things for small farms that can't get out, can't get to the restaurants, can't do the marketing. It's a such a great thing that they're both doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, farm table and farm table foods and laundry foods. Okay. Yeah. Their farm tables more 
Iowa, McClelland, Iowa, they're out of? Harlan. Harlan, Iowa. McClelland is John. John. That's right. Um, and then uh, Lone Tree is out of Lincoln. Or Lincoln towards Omaha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, could, we could talk about different items on this menu all day because everything I've had is awesome. A lot of other things look awesome. I could, I, I would talk for 40 minutes about the origins of the Debo, which is the break, the brunch <laughs> item that I just had this past weekend. But I want to be respectful of your time. I don't want to take up all day, but there's one more that I have to ask you about. And I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this because I've never actually heard it pronounced before, but we're just going for it on a podcast. Yes. <laughs> At least I was going to say Gogeres, and that's, that is terrible, and it's not even close. But no, I've had this similar interaction at the register. Actually, when we first put them okay. on the menu, we had a, a cook in the kitchen, and he the, the first ticket came in, and, it, and he said, he looked at it, and he said, what the heck's a Googer? <laughs> so now it's, it's they're lovingly referred to as Googers. At the, Googers? At the okay, that's a lot easier to pronounce. But uh, I... I'm not even going to try and explain what this is. I need one or both of you to to team up and just explain why everyone needs to get out and try a Googer. Because <laughs> I, I didn't know the greatness of Googers until a couple of days ago, and now I just crave them. Oh, you took a little bit of meatloaf in the middle of there, too? Just stop. Yeah. Just, no, we, <laughs> that, that's just cruel. It's when greatest. I don't have that in front of me right now, it's we can't have that later. Yeah, we should have brought snacks. That's okay. Anyway. So, the, uh, so the gougere, yeah. gougere is a pate mm-hmm. So it's a it's a cream puff basically, but not instead of going sweet, you go savory. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditionally, they're made with Gruyere, which you can get here, um, but it's not a local cheese. So we use uh, Prairie Breeze, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, an aged cheddar. It's one of, really one of the finest cheeses that you can get in the Midwest. It's an amazing cheese. It's actually um, Murray's, which is the great New York. Cheese monger, it's their Midwestern staple uh, cheddar. They, mm-hmm. I think they call it High Plains cheddar or something. Um, they just changed the name and put their own branding on it. But it's <laughs> yeah, it's um yeah. But you can order it from Milton Milton Creamery, Milton Creamery, even in, online in, in Milton, Iowa, or from Farm Table. Either one, right? We get it through Farm Table, um, but it's a really beautiful, crumbly, dry, aged white cheddar. Um, and it's so it's a cooked dough. Uh, you start with butter and water. A little bit of salt, uh, and then you stir in the flour on, you know, into boiling water, basically mm-hmm. to make a really elastic, expandable dough. Um, you beat in eggs to give it the leavening, uh, and then you fold in the cheese at the end. Top it with cheese. You bake them, and you get this. You pipe them out, though. Yeah, you, you pipe them with a pastry bag, uh, so you get these nice little little buns, I guess. Um, <laughs> And yeah, they just puff up and you get this hollow cheese pastry. And it's, I mean, they're beautiful just by themselves. I get starving every time I smell them come out. Yes. I can imagine. Quite delicious. And yeah, fresh out of the oven, there's nothing quite like them. Um, yeah, they're pretty amazing. It's it's actually, if you ever go to the French Laundry up in, uh, in Yountville, it's the first course. Okay. That you'll always get. They always have a fresh gougere that hits the table first thing. Yeah, because... Um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. But it's like it's yeah, it's it's like cheese custard. It's like a cheese pudding with a crusty outside. It's it's, it's they're just amazing little. And and again, it goes back to the bread thing. It's very uh-huh. simple. It's it's flour, water, butter, and cheese. There's not a whole lot to it. It's it's technique and consistency and 
You know, sometimes you have to add an extra egg white to it to get the right texture, uh, especially when you're using local eggs and you're not getting that, you know, grocery store perfect medium or large grade A egg. Mm-hmm. You're getting, you know, I get a flat of eggs and there's some extra large and there's some, there's some, some little guys, <laughs> some bullets, some bullets. <laughs> some little, yeah, some little baby eggs. Um, That's what you get with. Right, we're so proud you, to serve. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh-huh. so, you, so you balance it out. You get the right texture of the dough. You bake them off, and they're just just these amazing little. And they also, like Jess said, they make the greatest slider buns. I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, we we were just so amazed because Jess brought these out to the table, and neither one of us had ever heard of it. And I think you almost described like you said it was like kind of similar to a mozzarella stick, but without like the cheese pole or Uzi. something. Yeah, without the Uzi. <laughs> and so we were like what are we biting into here? <laughs> so cut this thing open and it's just like, it's got like these gorgeous air pockets. It made for a really nice picture on Instagram. So thank yes, you very much thank for you. that. But we, it was just like, okay, so it's, so it's bread, but it's cheese. And then you bite into it and it's just like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's cheese. cheddar. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you don't see cheese, but you taste cheese. It messes with your head, sure. but you're, you're not mad about being messed with. It's a, <laughs> you're very happy. You're like, yes, just go ahead, get in my brain and play around. Right. Google. It's, and it's bread like, but, it, but it also kind of melts in your mouth, like, like cheese. So oh, you it's don't delicious. get that, like chewy bread. Like you're not chewing on a sandwich. Yeah, it's super. Mm-hmm. It just kind of melts away. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're pretty amazing. All right, I have taken enough of you guys' time. I have one last question that I'm just purely from my curiosity before we get out of here. Um, you guys, you opened Kitchen Table in 2013. Mm-hmm. You are Omaha restaurant veterans at this point. What is one piece of advice that if you were speaking to a new restaurateur or someone entering this scene what's one piece of advice you'd give to them don't be afraid to work yeah you gotta i mean i fixed the ice machine you know you gotta, <laughs> yeah. as business owners and restaurateurs yeah you, you don't just get to be a chef and and, and play we both do dishes you, you mm-hmm. do the dishes you're the plumber you're you know you're the your hr you're you know every department is is your responsibility. So don't be afraid to work. And if you don't really want it, then go work for somebody else. Don't yeah. do it. You got I mean, you gotta, you gotta own it. You gotta need it. Yeah. And I think it's good for team morale too. Is, you know, everybody on the same page. Nobody's really front of house or back of house. As far as we're considered, everybody's got their unique, unique set mm-hmm. where they thrive. Right. Don't ask me to cook a chicken breast for you. <laughs> but we it. can ask you to make bacon, apparently. Or at least come up with bacon concepts. Yes, so there Maybe that. I just don't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, just everybody's a team player. Yeah. One thing we always tell people is, well, we expect you to work, but we'll never ask you to do anything that we're not willing to do ourselves. Yeah. We work hard, mm-hmm. but we have a great time when we're doing it. That's fantastic. Laughter is a major ingredient in the day right and just little things we you know like we you know who's got a suggestion for the pandora station today you know and, and just you know keeping everybody engaged and involved and, and making it that kind of family atmosphere like we're all part of the same team we're all working towards the same goal we spend most of the time yeah of our lives all together mm-hmm. so if you 
Well, it kind of ties right back into what you were talking about at the beginning about, you know, it being a family and not just even you two, but you, you know, you mentioned the other, the other cooks and staff that you have. It really is family. And that, like, that sounds so cliche, but when you spend all that time together, just naturally those, those bonds form. And I think that's so cool. Absolutely. All right. Valuable. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much, Colin and Colin and Jess. This has been fantastic. I am so appreciative of you coming in and and sharing and talking about breaking down a whole bird and making <laughs> cougars and moving back to Omaha from San Francisco. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks you, for Dan. Us. Appreciate yeah, it, Dan. It's a pleasure. Well, and thank you. Great listeners, um, I appreciate you so much for downloading this episode of Restaurant Hoppin', for listening to it. Now I have a homework assignment for you. Get out to the kitchen table, experience some of the awesome things that we talked about today. And until next time, thanks for eating with me. See you guys. A Parkville Media Production.